Hello and welcome back to the Grubcast. I'm Jim Grubb. Today, we're going to get hyper-converged. In this episode, Ronnie Chan from Cisco's HyperFlex business unit gives us an update on the product line. Hyperconvergence really came about, uh, I would say, at the junction of two big trends, right? One is how to make more efficient use of IT resources as budgets are flat or declining, right? And the second one is really the big trend of software-defined storage, right? Um, and hyperconvergence, um, you can think of it as, you think of Best way to think about hyperconvergence is to compare it with the traditional uh, world of IT in the data center. And in that world, if I am an application owner or line of business person, if I want to provision a new application, I'm really working with a compute team uh, who manages the servers and a hypervisor. Mm -hmm. I'm working with a storage team that gives me the capacity and the performance I need, and also the network team. and I really need all three teams to work with me in order to provision um, the VMs, the storage that I need to get going. Um, in the world of hyperconvergence, the very first problem that these, this architecture aims to um, address is to allow the compute team to really able to provision um, these new workloads. Um, very quickly without needing to be experts in storage, without needing to be experts in networking. And really the trick in that is through a lot of automation to take care of things like um, the east-west network, the interconnected cluster, takes care of things like making sure data is protected, making sure you have system availability and all that. So that is at a very high level, right? Sure. Hyperconvergence. Sure. Right. So yeah, and you know, as as IT organizations move from the sort of the typical siloed organization of the storage people, the network people, the security people, the apps people, et cetera, into more horizontal groups, this is really it's fundamentally enabling that actually, as you begin to think more about, you know, the overall service or, you know, from a horizontal perspective. Well that's great. So Tell me a little bit about uh, Cisco's uh, hyperconverged journey, where we got started and, and where, we're, where we got to today and, and where we're going. So Cisco's hyperconverged journey um, that eventually led to HyperFlex, something really started around 2015-ish time frame, when Cisco started working with a, uh, a startup company called SpringPath. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And if we think about um, where Cisco was at that time, Cisco is actually very well positioned um, to solve the hyperconverged problem. Because in a hyperconverged uh, data center, it doesn't mean that you know your your layers get reduced. It's you still have servers you need to manage. You still have a hypervisor. Mm-hmm. You still have networking. You still have storage. But Cisco uh, brings two things to the table. It brings um, the network piece to the table. So to even to today in the HyperFlex offering, we are uh, uniquely packaging really the fabric interconnect to provide that east-west networking within right. the cluster. Right. That part is highly automated. Mm-hmm. And the other part that we bring to the table is the server and really the um, 
kind of compute as a uh, software-defined compute, if you will. That whole paradigm around um, UCS, uh, using these server profiles to automate provisioning of compute. Those two are key problems that Cisco has solved. And what they saw in, uh, in SpringPath um, was the this um, distributed file system that was built from the ground up to serve virtualization workloads, right? That brings the benefits of software-defined storage, things like scale-out, so that you don't need to project three years ahead of time what my growth curve is going to be. I can add infrastructure pieces as I go along. I can pay as I grow. Right, right. right. So, so uh, from a Cisco standpoint, it really started in kind of around that time frame and sort of that context. And fast forward a couple of years, um, Cisco acquires SpringPath um, late 2017. And um, since the beginning of this journey, um, we've had uh, four um, generation of Hyperflex. And these four generation really, uh, you can really map that to how Cisco sees um, the data center is evolving. Okay, so tell me about the four generations. So the first generation, the problem you aim to solve there is, as I as we discussed, right, is the how do we bring operational simplicity, right? And uh, a core part of that is really packaging what we have in UCS and UCS Manager uh, in the Fabric Interconnect to make the deployment and operation that they, you know, zero, one, two things that customers do very, very simple. So to date, we are still um, the only offering, a hyperconvergence offering out there where we can say we simplify uh, not just the provisioning of the compute, but also the networking. That was the first milestone. Okay. The second milestone, the second generation problem is, okay, so now that I have uh, a good simplicity story, right, simplicity basis. By the way, let's back up for just a minute. So t tell me about the simplicity. So how, do, how are we simplifying the networking? And I'm, you know, assuming this is the, the uh, interconnect not only between the processors but the storage and all those right. pieces and, and, and our ACI switch fabric. So if you look at um, the network topology of a Hyperflex, right, um, the Hyperflex starts off with, in the data center, minimum three nodes, right? And the fabric interconnects, um, the pair of fabric interconnects provide that east-west cluster networking. And that's a, really a prerequisite in a scale-out architecture that hyperconvergence depends on. You have multiple copies of um, user data as well as system metadata, right? Um, and your internal um, movement of VMs, internal replication of data, if you have, um, let's say, storage device failures, rebuild traffic, everything happens over that. Okay. That east-west network. Okay. Right? So, therefore, the ability to, um, via automation, right, um, create the VLANs, um, actually even before that, create the VNICs, VSwitches, VLANs, uh, define the quality of service. So for example, if um, on the Hyperflex network stack, there are um, four different um, virtual networks, if you will. Right. There is a virtual network where uh, management, management traffic takes place. Mm -hmm. There's a virtual network where uh, 
inter-node, so intra-cluster east-west traffic takes place. Mm -hmm. There's a separate network where VM traffic, so I need to go up to my application network, takes place, right? Um, off the four, your um, data network traffic, you probably want that to have no packet drop, for example, have a very high level of quality of service, right? Um, whereas for other virtual networks, you want to be able to tune that differently, right? So this is just one example of some of the automation that we help solve because we built that into the product. Yeah, and okay. we're able to do that because we own the server and we own the network stack. Right, right. right. So now um, to your question, what about the storage, right? So um, to this date, a very enduring differentiator of Hyperflex is that distributed file system. So um, you can think of the way that a product um, in, picture this in, the, in your head is um, of those three UCS servers, right, these C-series rack mount servers, um, each one of these is running um, a hypervisor. So let's take VMware, for example, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Now, within that VMware host, we have a dedicated VM. We call it a controller. And that controller VM actually runs the Hyperflex stack, right? And the collection of these controllers together form the file system, that what we call a data platform. Okay. Right. And within that data platform is where we deliver things like um, read and write caching. This is a, um, a lock structure file system that is optimized for uh, flash media. Right. Um, it's where we deliver data um, durability. So we replicate both within the caching layer and the data persistence layer. Um, so where we deliver um, data optimization, so um, things like deduplication and compression, okay, okay, right? Okay. Um, so that layer forms essentially to then the vSphere uh, host um, a data store, right? We look like a um, NFS data store, right? right? Okay. But it's a data store that is um, infinitely scalable. Right? We can add nodes to scale out compute and storage um, together. Right. So you, the the volumes can grow. The volumes can grow dynamically. Dynamically. Okay. Right. So that's the foundation. That's really the first you know um, generation to how to you know inject operational simplicity uh, into the stack. Okay. So that was phase one. That was phase one. Okay. And phase two is really um, getting the stack ready to deploy any application. So we look at a lot of our customers' um, HCI journey. Many starts with point solutions. I want to run VDI, a virtual desktop mm -hmm. infrastructure, for mm -hmm. example. That's mm -hmm. a common place to start, right? Or maybe I want to run test dev, right? Or maybe I have management VMs that I want to use a dedicated stack for it, that kind of thing. Um, which is another way to say in the early days, customers did not have the confidence to run mission-critical databases like um, Oracle, SQL, et cetera, on right. hyperconvergence. So in the second generation, um, a big focus that we did was um, we uh, introduced an all-flash um, uh, version of Hyperflux. Okay. So today we have a hybrid line. Right, and we have an all-flash uh, product line. And that obviously gives us uh, the performance boost, but that performance boost is built on top of a very uh, solid um, foundation. Um, so I mentioned the data platform, that file system is an enduring differentiator. And it has a lot to do with how 
we treat the life cycle of an IO, right? Essentially, in uh, hyperconvergence, if you look at um, all the players in this space, right, there is a um, decision point in how you build the file system. And many competitors fall into the bucket of what's called data locality, which means um, a workload that's running on a host in the cluster, the storage resources of that host serves that workload. Okay, So that's your writes, your reads. The other nodes in the cluster participate in data protection. So they will take replication, right? Okay. Now, um, the way that our stack works, a workload is distributed across the nodes in the cluster. Across, from a compute perspective. From a compute perspective, and also mm -hmm. from a storage perspective. So your workload still may run on just one host. So think about a VM that's running a database. Mm -hmm. Now, that VM physically runs on one host, mm -hmm. right? But we have built a layer um, running fairly close to uh, the hypervisor where we load balance the workload coming off of that VM so that all nodes in the cluster participates in the primary read and write. So what that then allows us, that foundation allows us to do is as workloads on the cluster fluctuates, right, we can spread evenly that workload across the cluster and therefore minimize hotspots. Right. The hotspotting is the problem so that many you're of balancing our balancing the storage part of, part of the problem. That across, as well. So that as well. So when, um, for example, when new nodes are added, right, there is a uh, rebalancing that goes on mm. as we um, monitor the usage. Is that all automatic? It's automatic. Yeah. It happens okay. in the background. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So what was what was phase three then? So the before I get to phase two, so tying a bow on the outcome of phase two, okay. which is to get uh, give customers the confidence to run measure critical workloads, and we have um, many customers today that uh, run, you know, SQL, uh, Oracle. Uh, we've been certified by SAP to run virtualized HANA. Mm -hmm. um, we have customers that, um, uh, in particular, one. Um, uh, story I like to tell if I can take a minute sure. or so yeah. um, is a uh, um, health provider right here in the Bay Area, um, which I know something about because my two kids are born in their hospitals. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they provide a uh, they have a mission critical application that is a electronic medical record application, right? So every room you go into, you have right. uh, a computer with that application. Right. Now, so you can imagine if there is latency in access to that application, it directly affects the quality of care you provide to sure. people. So this is real. This is real life stuff. Not to mention irritating the practitioners. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who may happen to be holding the syringe that they need to draw <laughs> something out of you. That's not fun. So um, this particular customer ran into an issue with an existing um, HCI vendor that has that data locality architecture. And the problem they run into is that as they find that as they scale the number of seats, the number of users in this VDI environment, they were hitting latency spikes and the latency spikes um, puts them in jeopardy of violating the SLA that they are bound to live under, or else there's going to be a financial penalty. Oh, uh, interesting. And for mm -hmm. this organization, the financial penalty is seven figures. Mm -hmm. So um, they put in 
Hyperflex essentially show me what you got. Can you solve my performance problem? And we were able to show them that hey, beyond the critical threshold of 7,000 users, as you scale to 20,000, 25,000, mm. they were able to observe a low um, consistent latency mm. on their VDI. So that's the, the real world outcome. That's the that. real world yeah. outcome of the, yeah. you know, the architecture that right, I described. Right, okay. Yeah. So phase, what's phase three then? So now phase three, if we um, draw a picture of three uh, circles that overlaps in the middle, right? Phase one was, was all about how do I make operational simplicity and uh, service enterprise workloads in the core data center. That's your top left circle. And then phase three is about where the workload's going. And there's two dimensions that workloads are going. One is going from the private cloud or the data center into the public cloud. So phase three was really about how do I enable um, a multi-cloud platform, right? So there's a couple of things in there. One was in um, phase three on the, you know. So third. let's just, just to clarify, when you say multi-cloud platform, you mean you have part of the application running in the cloud and part running in your own data center, or what do you mean by multi-cloud? Yeah, good yeah. question. So uh, in multi-cloud, what we mean by that is you can think of Hyperflex as your private cloud in the sense that it solves the uh, infrastructure as a service piece right. of the cloud, right. right? Your VM as a service, your um, block storage, right? Um, uh, or VM storage as a service, piece of it. Um, now, there are customers, um, so the first part of multi-cloud is uh, at the hypervisor level, right? Um, prior to that first third phase, we supported ESX. Um, we s added support for Hyper-V in that third mm -hmm. generation, in that you know 3.0 release mm -hmm. uh, timeframe. And in the, also in the, in the third generation, we added container support, right? Because we saw um, there is, um, the container is not just uh, used by applications that were built in the cloud, but there's also a strong push from uh, companies across industries to really refactor their legacy applications to right, run right. on containers. Seems to be a fair amount of activity exactly. moving towards containers. So in, Is that because they're trying to build scale out? They want to make their applications scale out? They want to make their applications scale out, uh, and I would say they want to make their application more agile. Um, with containerization, it gives um, a increase in the ease of maintaining um, the application. Um, you can innovate faster. It also allows your application to be more portable, right? I can uh, more easily leverage some of the rich data services that are availed in the public cloud, right? right. right? If I have a containerized platform that right. I can now run not just on my on-premise Kubernetes, but I can move it out to uh, the public cloud. Okay. So there is um, ultimately it boils down to how do I accelerate the digital transformation, right? That my organization is undergoing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, the third generation outcome of that is Hyperflex in that 3.0 uh, time frame um, enabled customers to run both virtualized workloads side by side with containerized workload on one cluster. So tr traditional VMs along with containers. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Okay. And the containers would use the data platform for persistent storage. Right. Now, um, the other 
second piece of that is of that multi-cloud story is um, enabling the link between the private and the public. So many customers don't um, increasingly that I see is they don't just have one public cloud vendor. They don't want to get locked in. Right. 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 So it's really or they're about using different clouds because each of the clouds has their own. There are certain types of things that work better on AWS right. than they work on Azure or vice versa or right. GCP right. or, yeah, okay. So um, we work with um, three uh, product units uh, or business units um, in Cisco to uh, validate um, Hyperflex with their products. So AppDynamics, um, Cloud Center, and um, Cloud Workload optimization manager, C1. Right, right, right. right. That so, was the, uh, it was a, Turbonomic was the uh, original right. company there, right? right. We OEM'd that product, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So the end picture there um, is that not only can you deploy on your Hyperflex private cloud um, virtual and containerized workloads, but it can live as one of many cloud endpoints. So in a Cloud Center uh, Hyperflex demo, for example, you can see I have a recipe to deploy, let's say, an open cart application that requires a one database server and maybe three web servers and a load balancer right. or something. I can create that recipe and I can choose to maybe deploy this as test dev in a AWS cloud, but for production, I'm going to deploy in my on-premise private cloud that right. is Hyperflex. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So really leveraging the Cloud Center, which was the acquisition of the company called Clicker, mm-hmm. to really enable that portability. And right. this really gets to our our company priority of embracing the multi-cloud world, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So now the fourth and latest milestone. Yeah. What's happening now? Uh, so we announced um, something called Hyperflex Anywhere at uh, Cisco Live Barcelona a few weeks ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And that announcement um, introduces uh, the 4.0 release of Hyperflex, which will come out in a couple months. And uh, the 4.0 release is, so you go back to that three-circle picture that um, you had in your heads. Uh, the bottom circle is edge computing. So we were talking about how workloads are moving. There are two ways they're moving. One is from on-prem to a multi-cloud world, and the other is from centralized to distributed. Right. 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 So for, for IoT, for high availability. Right. Right. For IoT, high availability, for bringing real-time analytics to the edge. Um, so let's talk about a couple of you know use case examples, sure. right? Yeah. So um, in retail, for example, right, um, there are certain applications. So let's say if I am a uh, large retail chain, I want to expand into a market. I have let's say a hundred stores, and there are certain applications that I want to run on prem. Maybe you know point of sale applications, for sure. example, yeah. uh, or even uh, videos. Appli- 
yeah, video even video surveillance, video analytics, or analytics, maybe, yeah. right? Maybe mm -hmm. I have uh, cameras in the store that you know can tell me is this that can uh, that I want to run some sentiment analysis, right? Um, is this um, user happy, not happy, um, yeah. or even maybe try to correlate who this user is against their buying pattern, right. those kind of things, right? right? So um, a lot of this pushes compute requirements out to the edge. Now, but if I bring it back to my scenario of a hundred stores. Uh, and further back to the broader context of me being very limited in terms of um, care and feeding, uh, right. IT resources, right. how am I going to manage um, deployment and care and feeding lifecycle right. of infrastructure at 100 it's hard, stores? It's hard to manage it when it's all in one data center, never mind when it's now distributed across exactly. 100 branch locations. Exactly. So what we, uh, we're, excited, we're very excited about uh, the 4.0 uh, payload because we bring some very innovative things to the table to solve that problem. And it starts with um, this thing called Intersight. And Intersight is a um, cloud-based management as a service, as I would like to call it, cluster management as a service. It basically brings the goodness of UCS Manager and uh, offer that as a service and plus augment that. So it, from a uh, 100 store scenario, it starts with how am I going to deploy 100 stores, right? So now in a traditional way, if I need to deploy clusters to 100 locations, what I probably would do is to have my vendor ship the hardware to a staging area, a staging location. I will rack stack and run through a unit test at that staging. Once that pass, I'm going to pack up everything and ship it to the store along with the tech. And the tech is going to have to, you know, install the equipment, go through the same yeah. test, right? And I rinse and repeat 100 times, which is fairly, you know, intensive. Yeah, because two years later, you've now deployed to all of your stores. Exactly. <laughs> so now contrast that with this, with this picture. Right? With Intersight, I can log on to a cloud-based portal, and that cloud-based portal is able to detect that once um, the servers has reached a site has been, you know, rack stack powered, connect up to a local switch, right? So it gets internet connectivity to mm -hmm. the Intersight cloud. Mm -hmm. I can now lock onto the Intersight cloud from the core data center, right? Uh, and log onto the portal and be able to see I have these clusters calling home, or these nodes calling home. I can claim them and I can uh, deploy these clusters. And not only that, I can uh, create these profiles, I can create a cluster profile, right, and replicate the deployment rapidly of these clusters. Right, so you only have to build it once. Exactly. And then the replication is all done through automation. Exactly. So in that 100 yeah. store scenario, maybe uh, all the local networking, you know, IP addresses, you know, the, all of those things, they can be the same, right? But I need to change the, uh, the time zone, for example. Yeah. So I can tweak that profile a little bit and very rapidly leverage it right. to deploy. It's very similar in some ways to what we're doing in our other software-defined networking products like DNA Center, where, and essentially in DNA Center, you know, you can define the entire network fabric virtually before you start actually deploying hardware. So in, in, in one sense, am I, am I wrong in saying this is software-defined hyper-converged Hyperconverged edge computing. <laughs> no, I think you captured that very well. Like yeah. the uh, 
as I said, Cisco was well positioned to enter this space because we have a software-defined uh, computing solution in UCS Manager. And this is adding on top of that um, a software-defined uh, HCI infrastructure management right. that is driven right. from the cloud. Right. right? right. Um, so by moving that, uh, that management plane up there, it simplifies the operations at a massive scale, right, horizontally across many locations. And that's just the beginning. Um, okay. Because these clusters, they also send back telemetry to the NSI cloud. And these telemetry allows us to do, uh, to really impact the day-to-day -day of a customer. So for example, if a customer um, opens up a tech case called TAC, one of the first things that TAC would ask them to do is please upload your support bundle or your logs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And with, um, this uh, InnoSight model, we have something called Connect Support, which means um, in the telemetry that we send back, we actually um, already send back the log information to TAC. So within minutes. And so just for mm -hmm. clarity for people that don't know, TAC is our technical assistance center right. and where you call when you have trouble and you're trying to troubleshoot. Right, and this actually happened to a real uh, customer situation, right, paraphrasing here, but um, the customer call in, right, so very quickly, the first level support figures that this is not something I can solve, I need help. So um, in, the pr in the time it took for them to um, find the second level engineer and transfer the call and do the handoff, in that time, this, the engineer is able to already access the log information via that connected support mm -hmm. feature, mm -hmm. right? And have uh, an idea of what is ailing that particular system, right? right? right. That um, reduction in the response time is what, you know, making a big impact right. for our customers. Right. So um, now imagine what more we can do with the telemetry, right? We can do things like uh, inspecting, ahead of time, inspecting the customer's um, utilization trends Right, and alerting a customer, okay, there has been a change in your usage trend. Maybe the customer has new workloads they're provisioning, right? And you may want to think about um, expanding your clusters at these locations. We can proactively do some of that. Right. We can proactively verify because we the clusters call home, right? It can tell Intersight, uh, these are the hardware that was delivered to me, right? These are the different uh, drives, different uh, versions of firmware, et cetera. Are they all lining up in the HCL, in the hyper compatibility list? So we can proactively say, hey, looks like you got a wrong drive. Maybe there was a logistical error or something and, mm -hmm. you know, get ahead of that so that, you know, you don't discover you have a wrong piece of equipment in the middle of your deployment. Right. But I'm, I'm also assuming, since you talked about the UCS manager capability, we can automate the to make sure that your version control and the and the firmware and BIOS and all these things are, are automatically all kept up to date which Absolutely. can be a headache in itself right? so one of the uh, really um, game-changing feature in 4.0 is uh, something called we call one click upgrade right so now imagine 100 stores again right and I want to be, uh, I, I need to upgrade the firmware on my servers, or I need to update the uh, hypervisor version on my vSphere, or I need to uh, patch or upgrade my Hyperflex data platform. Mm -hmm. I can do that from the cloud portal at Intersight and push that out to my 100 clusters. All simultaneously, Yes, essentially. So, so maybe now, instead of having a, 
uh, a five-hour downtime to do maintenance, it's a five-minute downtime. Right, like the actual um, execution of that. Now, in the back end, we take care of orchestrating that rolling update, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if I need to, if, if we need to update vSphere, for example, it would orchestrate the rolling reboot of the host in those clusters. But yeah, you're you're, you're essentially right. From a um, uh, that uh, uh, technician or that engineer's perspective, the time that he needs to spend in yeah. setting that up, right, 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 is dramatically reduced, and they can do that from one location. Okay, and so maybe I misunderstood, but so from a high availability perspective, you're saying that these. So if you got a three-node cluster, mm-hmm. you could roll the yes. update so you could actually do it while it's still online. And exactly. Running. So it would okay. be non-disruptive upgrades where, um, if necessary, for example, if we need to reboot the host, right, in a vSphere update, for example, or upgrade, for example, um, we also take care of moving the VMs, right, to other hosts. The vMotion. Exactly. The vMotion of, of the yeah. VMs. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's pretty interesting and exciting on um, what's happening here. And tell me, are we, you know, in our in our networking products like DNA Center and um, and uh, ACI and where we're starting to connect the telemetry, for example, that comes from titration back to the ACI controller so that we can start to potentially automate remediation. Are we doing any of those kinds of things here as well? In fact, recently I saw one of the so some of the listeners may not know, but in um, in uh, inside Cisco we have these things called Innovation Challenge. Yes. Right? Yes. And uh, a bunch of them are AI, you know. Right. Driven, right. Right. Of course. So uh, one of the things that, and also some of your listeners may know, is that you know Cisco actually has been. Um, Leading quite at the forefront in terms of um, auto using automation, using um, just basically picking out signatures of failures, yes. right, uh-huh. and be able to very quickly identify from the log information. Okay, there is this, um, you know, this matches that pattern, right? right? right. And um, something that I saw actually caught my attention in one of these recent innovation challenge that I think speaks to what you were talking about is. Um, being able to um, leverage uh, machine learning techniques to uh, kind of automate, if you will, the creating of these signatures. Because each one of these signatures takes a long time to actually identify. You need actually a human person to correlate different logs, right? right? And some things are not as easy as matching text patterns, right? Um, So um, there is innovation happening in terms of trying to uh, uh, some of these, you know, some skunk works initiatives yes. to uh, um, make um, kind of use ML to help create these signatures, right? To um, all goes kind of toward um, very um, like shortening that amount of time um, yeah. for us to solve right. problems. Right. Um, well, because even if you can simply, if you can automate the one of the pr- troubleshooting steps or the, that someone might take when they're trying to resolve an issue, even just having ha- being able to get through those steps faster is helpful, yes. even if it's not fully closed loop in, in that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, in our, in our networking products, we're doing that and we're, we're, we're doing it in ways that the IT staff can start to get comfortable with it. So, for example, in DNA Center, you know, if you have, uh, you go into the network health and you find that mm-hmm. you've got a device that's having an issue, mm-hmm. DNA Center will give you, first it will give you a recommendation. This is what needs to be fixed. 
but then it has a button where you can click on it and actually have it go and do that fix. Or uh, it'll say you need to run a trace route and, you know, or this, you know, set of sequences, Mm -hmm. and it will set that up for you. So all you have to do is press the button, and it goes off and it does that for you. So are you, are you doing those kinds of things in the within? So the I think software? a lot of those concepts are um, things that you would find in on our roadmap or in future releases. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. the the critical piece there is the fact that with Intersight we now really have a richness of telemetry. Right. Right. right so we're right. we're at that cusp where right, we can think right. about okay, is what can we do in terms of um, performance. Uh, yeah. That's all cluster. these things. You know, if you yeah. have if you, mm-hmm. if you have the automation controller or the software right. defined part and then you have telemetry, you can start injecting intelligence into that closed loop. Right? Exactly. And, and doing exactly. these things. Right? Exactly. And yeah. there's many places we can with many vectors we can we can apply this. We're gonna apply this in terms of performance and troubleshooting, in sizing, we're gonna apply this in security, we can monitor, you know, is the posture of the of the cluster drifting and, you know, um, sure. trying to close that loop. Yeah. So there's a lot of fertile ground for us to make um, uh, additional innovation in that area. Now, beyond telemetry um, I'd be remiss if I don't mention um, another probably um, equally important aspect of Everflex anywhere in Photo. Um, it is the fact that, so if you imagine um, 100 sites, right, um, at those edge locations, I am really cost sensitive, right? So I want to be able to deploy um, as few as two nodes for a cluster, right, that have some high availability, have some data durability. Uh, and in 4.0 of Hyperflex, we enabled a two-node cluster, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And a very interesting technical challenge in a two-node clustering is how, what do you do when there's a split, when there's a split break, right? When, yeah. let's say, the... the there's no the, tiebreaker. There's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So where do you yeah. put the tiebreaker? Right. 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 So the traditional um, way to solve that problem in computer science is you have a witness, uh, and the witness... Um, uh, also stores the state of the cluster, and typically you put that witness um, on another server and maybe at your core data center. But that presents a few problems, right? First of all, that witness is a now additional piece of infrastructure I need to worry about. Mm-hmm. And if I have a hundred clusters, that means I have a hundred witnesses, right? How do I then manage the availability of that of those witnesses, yeah. right? And also, if there is a constant, you know, replication of state between the two node and the witness, there's a lot of traffic. There's a yeah. lot of talk. Yeah. And some of these edge sites, if I'm talking to, let's say, a oil and gas company who wants to put this on an oil rig, yeah. right? Yeah. Or talk to, you know, Ministry of Defense or you know, Department of Defense that want to put this on mobile platforms on, you know, vehicles. Yeah. You don't yeah. have that kind of benefit, right. Right? right? So um, a very interesting, I think a very innovative solution we've brought to the table in 4.0 is we have this thing called invisible witness. Essentially, the functionality of the witness put into InnoSight. And not only that, the witness only steps into break the tie when it needs to. It detects via the telemetry sending back up that there is a split brain, and it then comes in and kicks off an election to elect the node to con- to continue. Right, right, right. So um, all these things together, right, is really um, going toward making uh, a distributed uh, compute environment um, easy to run, easy to manage, right. Um, so it all really comes together to bring this payload. All right, Ronnie. Well, listen, thank you for 
coming today to spend some time with us and tell us about what's happening with Hyperflex. We appreciate it very much. It was my pleasure, Jim. Thanks for joining us again for this episode of the Grubcast. If you'd like more information on Hyperflex, you can go to Cisco.com and then search on Hyperflex, or you can log in for a demo. You can log into Cisco's dCloud. Go to dcloud.cisco.com and search on Hyperflex. Until next time, I'm Jim Grubb, and this is the Grubcast. <laughs>